Hey people, welcome back to series three of Not Another Sales Podcast. My name is Chris Atfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche, a company focused on supporting and developing sales and commercial teams, mental health, well-being, and performance. This podcast aims to look at the world of sales through a different lens, providing not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what makes it successful. This series, I'm asking guests, what's one thing they suggest you try, avoid, and keep doing to be successful? whether that's as a rep, leader, or organization. So let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Megan Misiak, sales strategist and trainer, and founder of the Path to Presidents Club. And Megan and I are going to be talking all about why sales training is often broken from the off, how we can increase engagement and adapt content to suit the ever-changing times, and what is missing when it comes to often delivering training that's going to stick and resonate with salespeople. So sit back and enjoy. Meg, welcome. How are we doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me on an episode of the podcast. Uh, really looking forward to diving into some of these topics around the world of training and sales and, and coaching as well. Absolutely. And I love sales psyche and everything you do. So I was really excited to have the conversation from a, a very different perspective than I normally do. Great. And, and before we get into that, for people who are tuning in, and it may be the first time um, they've, they've come across you and, and your name, it'd be great to give them some, some context and background as to who you are, first of all. Absolutely. So um, I'm Megan Mishak, and I am the founder of a sales training um, and consulting company called the Path to Presidents Club. So for me, um, I really started my career in sales training. I was in the field, but I saw a huge need. And I was one of those salespeople who was really hungry and driven, but felt like I didn't have any resources. You know, I was handed a computer on day one and said, shadow some people and figure it out. And it wasn't until I actually invested in sales training. I went to Sandler sales training in Tampa, Florida for about uh, every week for two years. And the first year I went to president's club myself. And so for me, I'm really on a mission to give salespeople, the tools and tactics and sales strategies that they need to be successful. And also um, coming at it from a leadership perspective, trying to give leaders the tools they need to um, achieve those same results across their entire team. Mm, great. Great. And you mentioned um, training there, which is something, you know, I wanted to get your your insights on the, the topic of around sales today, because I think, you know, a lot has changed in the last year. We talk about the, the way in which we sell has evolved and always is evolving um, as the buyer's journey as well. But be interested to hear from your point of view, starting off with what do you think has changed or what do you think needs to change or still needs to change or when it comes to sales training to ensure that it's kind of adapting to the, the way in which the, the culture and the environment is as well? Yeah. So this is such a cool question because I think that the last year of, quarantine and, and virtual selling, virtual teams, virtual environments has actually brought about a shift that I've been waiting for for years. I started my career in a satellite office. And a lot of times we felt like um, no one really cared about what the, what the experience was like. And they didn't really have um, an empathy or understanding for the fact that when you're in a remote virtual environment, you can't just go and tap someone on the shoulder and say, Hey, I have a question. Can I, can I just like look over your shoulder, see what you're doing? Can you explain this to me? And it was very challenging. 
So I think that the obvious shift is that training has gone remote. And I think this is an incredible opportunity to figure out not only how we can sell virtually, um, you know, it's, it's body language and, and understanding that more deeply, but it's in, an incredible opportunity for training because, um, you know, over the last few years, I mean, really as a whole for SaaS sales, it's focused on, on a few main markets, right? San Francisco, New York, London. And, and I think that this will open up a huge amount of opportunity for creating more remote virtual sales teams, tapping into talent. Um, but that also creates a challenge for sales teams. How do we actually make these people feel like a member of the team? Right. So it's more of the, the virtual culture, but of course, from a training perspective, it's also forced us to really optimize the way that we actually train, knowing that people can't just wander into a conference room or, you know, get pulled in last minute saying, Hey, I have a call coming up. Do you want to, do you want to pop into this conference room with me? And so I think that, um, we've had such a, an environment of shadowing as training, and we can't rely on that anymore. So a few not so obvious trends I see happening in the training and enablement role, uh, world today is really a shift away from the sink or swim shadowing based training. And what that means a lot of times is an expansion of enablement. Um, but really from two perspectives, I do see a ton of expansion of enablement teams. A lot of teams are hiring their first enablement person. And for me, any, any of the, like, the enablement people out there who are hired and, and uh, have the common experience of, hey, we really don't know what you're supposed to be doing. So I hope you know, right? It's like building those enablement and training programs from the ground up. Um, I also see a lot of teams investing in enablement tools. But with both of these, the teams, the tools, and by enablement tools, I mean, you know, the, the systems like Gong, Chorus, um, Showpad, Highspot, like all of, you know, whether it's asset management or conversation intelligence, I see a lot of investment in enablement and training. The challenge is, I, is a little bit of shiny object syndrome. Because I don't think a lot of teams understand how they want to use these resources, what it, even what makes a great enablement program. And so um, it, it's interesting because a lot enablement is still so new. And I think a lot of times enablement people, I have a ton of enablement people reaching out to me saying, hey, like, how did you build out the role? Because I'm kind of struggling, you know, I have these like immediate needs and, and tickets from sales leadership. And how do you actually... How do you balance and create like this incredible enablement role from a very comprehensive perspective when sales leadership doesn't really know how it should be built? So I think it's an incredible opportunity to really reflect on what makes great training and enablement programs. And it's not just what we've had before, which is, you know, throwing some shadowing at it and bringing maybe an internal trainer for a one-off training. But the final thing I'll mention is something that is just like so personally important and, um, and critical to my mission as a sales trainer, which is a, a huge calling for shifting sales cultures. And Chris, this is, I know you're excited about this as well. It's, you know, really what your entire company is based off of, but I think that we have, um, really blown apart the, this per heavy performance-based culture where, 
I mean, there's just no, not a lot of diversity in sales teams as well. Um, we we're shifting and, and salespeople are asking for a heavier focus on mental health, diversity, inclusion, um, training for different learner types, and really recognizing that sales needs to shift. And I think this is interesting from a perspective of the, um, the quarantine, because I think a lot of teams, as they've been spending more time at home with their partners, as they have really had time to reflect, kind of like just be still and ask themselves, what, why do I like this? What do I like? Like uh-huh. for me, it was just like spending more time with my partner. I was like, wow, I did not realize how little time I had for my relationships. And so this is something that, um, of course, impacts training because, again, we're going to have to create very different environments where we'll have more remote people. But I think training and enablement is such a cool way. It's it's a great incentive. It it helps so many people find fulfillment and meaning in their role. And also it creates some challenges that we should really address, which is like recognizing that not every single person will learn the same way. Not every single person needs the same things. Some learn at a slower pace. And so I'm excited to see that intersection of, you know, mental health, sales culture, and enablement and training. Mm. Yeah, some really good points there. Uh, I think, you know, for me, to, to add on what you were saying as well, I think there's so much, I've heard the term like infobesity um, of what's been been happening with so much content online and everyone wanting to put on webinars and everyone putting on content. And we talk a lot about with salespeople, you know, trying to get the attention of their prospects. And it's the same with trainers and enablement. You've got to make sure just because that you work in the same company does not give you the right to expect attention from your salespeople. You've got to earn it. You've got to position it in the right way. Um, and, and the way you do that isn't, isn't no longer, and it's not saying it can ever be, but like one or two day workshops where they just go in and they'll, they'll sit there all day and, and learn something. I think it's now balancing, you know, being proactive and reactive. It's being proactive with giving them tools and things like spotting trends that are coming up and not waiting for it to become a problem. Like, you know, because sometimes it's like, oh, let's do some training negotiation. Oh, we're, we're all right at negotiation. Well, let's let's not wait until we get to the point where we're like, oh, we're not doing well with it to fix it. Because by then it's actually a problem. Um, but to still have that reactive toolkit as well. I think for me, it's all been around format. When I've been building sales psyche, I've been thinking about this of what's the best way and, and different ways to engage with people. Um, you know, I started using the app Blinkist a few months ago. Have you ever used Blinkist? No, tell no. me about it. So it condenses, the readers are going to hate me for this, and I, um, I still like to read, but um, it condenses down like books into like five, 10, 15 minute blinks. So it will take like the key concepts um, around it. And that got me thinking around learning and around content of, you know, when you go online these days, even outside of your organization, there's so much content out there and you don't know what it's going to be like. You have to kind of wait until you turn up. It's a bit like going on Netflix and not seeing any ratings or anything. You just see the actor or actresses in there and you've got to make a snap judgment of whether you're going to enjoy the film. You can't watch the trailer. Um, so I'm think, I was starting to think, how do you create content that is more bite-sized, that isn't necessarily going to give people everything, but it'll give them something to use and inspire that kind of learning to think, oh, I, I like the sound of that. I want to read more versus having to attend the whole thing and maybe just trying to pick out what resonates with them. And if it doesn't, then being switched off by it. 
Chris, I'm seriously back here, like preach. This is such an important topic. It's so interesting. So two things I loved about what you just said. The first one is just that attention element. Um, I think a lot of salespeople, especially salespeople that go into um, enablement, uh, for me, it was my, like why I wanted to do this is because I had this belief that every salesperson was like me, which was someone super hungry, super open, very much focused on like finding resources. And if I just had more resources and if I just had the opportunity to do training, they would dive right in. When I went into enablement, I learned the truth is that there are many different types of learners. And just because you put out a resource does not mean that people will take it uh, and use it. And so this has been one of the biggest challenges for me, but also I say challenge loosely because it's been a really cool um, experiment. And I mean, I, I think that a lot of people will recognize that we there, there's such a shift in terms of um, personal branding right now. LinkedIn is on fire with all of these people vying for your attention. So for me as a trainer, this is taught, this actually taught me some incredible things. So I think that a lot of times um, from a sales leadership perspective, we take the approach of, hey, you're going to do this because I told you so. And you're going to continue doing this because we're going to put a gate in Salesforce, right? And I, I think this creates an environment where it's astounding to me that people think that things like tests and quizzes are a good way to actually test retention. I'm going to tell you a quick story about this. So I had, um, I'm very stubborn. So if this sounds, this story sounds like rude, it totally is. Um, so I had a, a sales leader who wanted me to do something. He's like, we really need to like add a quiz to something. And I was like, this is not going to work and forced me to do it. So I was like, okay, well, let's test this out. We, um, we did a training, we added a quiz and then the next day, something really crazy happened. I was walking around the office and I see all of these pods of salespeople. I was like, what is going on? What are they doing? And I, I just walked by, looked at their screens, and I realized they were in pods taking the test together. One, Everyone had their test up. One person had the, uh, the training and the resource up, and they just did command F. They would find the answer, then all put it down. Like, honestly, salespeople are really skeptical, really smart. A lot of times they're just as, you know, rude as me. And they're very creative in finding ways to work around the things that sales leadership asks them to do or like uses, you know, with a heavy hand. And so I think for trainers and enablement, especially, we have to realize that we are a very unique group of people. We manage everyone and no one at the same time. And so we really need to come at training from a perspective of managing with influence. You need to ask yourself, why? Why would people do this training? Listen, you know, like, and give people that why as a very first step in your training programs. Don't assume that just because you're doing a training or hosting a, a quarterly business review, an all-day training, that people are going to show up and pay attention. And don't be offended when they don't pay attention to training where you haven't included that why. And uh -huh. so really focusing on almost like, I actually, per, I love the personal branding trend and I've leaned into it myself because I think it has made me a better trainer. I'm constantly testing things on LinkedIn 
because a LinkedIn post is such an incredible way to test. I don't know if you've been doing this as well, but even just forcing your message into a much smaller context or uh, format, as well as even like the first two lines of text, like asking yourself, what is the most compelling part of this message? How can I create those small sound bites, right? So for me, I think every single trainer should focus on personal branding just from an experimental perspective. And I think the, the other thing you mentioned was um, those boot camps. I always get asked to do boot camps by sales leaders. And what I really love about your program, especially is I, I think that the first step that a lot of times uh, teams make when they're, they're creating training programs is that they're like, let's, let's create a two week boot camp. But even like sales classrooms and boot camps, a lot of times when I have salespeople that join um, my past organizations, they're like, yeah, we had a really good training program. It was like a two week boot camp. And I always ask people about, you know, their former training. I, I love learning and, and, you know, hearing what other teams are doing. So I'm like, okay, well, what, tell me about it. What did you like? What do you, and they're like, oh, I don't remember any of it. I remember that, you know, it was nice. It was in the headquarters, mm -hmm. but like I was being trained on negotiation before I had even had ever had a conversation with a, a prospect. So I just forgot everything by the time I actually got into the role. And so I think that um, really focusing on ongoing learning and recognizing that people, they, you're not going to learn in a boot camp. It just isn't the way that retention works. But especially you're, you're also not going to learn in a classroom environment using fake opportunities. So like one of the easiest ways is to actually get people invested in training and involved. I always tell people when they start that my job is to help you make more money and get your first deal. And they're like, what? It, you're not just here to like train me or like, or like make me do things. I was like, no, my, my entire onboarding program is based around helping people get that first deal. We literally say like, hey, we're not going to focus on fake prospects. We're going to get you your territory list and focus on three to five of your top prospects. These are the low-hanging fruit. I've worked with your manager and giving them that reason. I, I mean, I think it's such a cool opportunity and realize that people aren't just going to learn in, in one training. They need that, that ongoing coaching, training, implementation. And overall, they just need more time to actually let things sink in and to try it. I know that your program focuses a lot on coaching. Like, what do you see about that? Really that, um, the why, as well as the ongoing versus, uh, kind of like front loaded training. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the question we ask when we're kids, isn't it? When someone asks us, tells us to do something, you speak to a kid, why, 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 why? It's, and we kind of, we don't say it as vocally when we're adults, but we're still thinking it. It's the first question. Yeah. And if you can't explain why you should be doing something or, and the worst of response is, well, this is how we would always done it is, well, that doesn't make any sense because that's not helping anyone. Um, and again, it, it might be, well, this works for most people. If it doesn't work for everyone, then it shouldn't be something that you just stick to. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at things, you know, like habits, it takes like on average like 66 days to create a new habit. And this is what you're doing is you're building new habits when you're training people. And you look at any other profession in the world, you know, they don't try and condense it down into a week or two of training. Um, you know, they, they, they do it over a period of time and they do experimental. So actually involved in it because you'll get people, I think, that come in. And I think there is still use in, in not saying, you know, you don't have to do a two week boot camp straight away, but you can give people 
the right kind of tools and, and the kind of general requirements. But I think if you front load everything, it also places like an unrealistic expectation on people to feel like, oh, do I need to remember all of this? Do I need to be really good at all of this straight away? And if I'm not, maybe I'm not right for this company or this role, maybe I'm not right for sales. Whereas I think if you you kind of switch it and also what are you actually training people on those first two weeks? Because the biggest challenge I see is people who get trained heavily when they start is all around the company. This is what we sell. This is what we do. Here's our message. Here's what we go after. So if I'm new to sales and I get on a call, and that's all I've been trained on. That's all I'm going to talk about. And then people are wondering why they're not asking enough questions or they're talking too much is, well, because you've told them everything. And if you're not confident, you're just going to go with what you know or what you've been taught. So where I've seen it work really well sometimes is actually that first week or two is to get them to learn the customer's job, the customer's world, rather than actually their own. Like get them to spend time if you sell to CFOs with your CFO or if you've got a really good relationship with some of your customers is. Uh, in a in a post covid world ask them can they can they go and work from there for a day or two like just to absorb what's going on in their world because then when they get on the phones they don't need to know enough about your product yet because they're not trying to sell it they need to know about the problems they're solving because then they can ask the right kind of questions that they can then get to the point where they can learn more about what you sell to match that yeah so i i'm coming at it from a, a little bit of compassion so i think that it is I think that scripts seem like an easy button for a lot of companies, right? It's like, okay, well, we don't have a full-time trainer or we do, um, but you know, we have all this data that shows that like these scripts work the best, right? Or even marketing has prepared all of these scripts for us. And so I think that a lot of times when people start focusing first on training and enablement, even just like sales consistency, there's a tendency to try to solve it with scripts. But it is my firm belief that scripts breed stupid reps. Because if you're literally just teaching people to memorize something, you're not teaching them, you're not challenging them even to figure out how to actually change the script for different environments and personalize it. So I love what you said, but I, I want to even give, um, you know, sales leaders and sales people on the phone, a few like quick ways that they can actually implement this. Right. Because I think it's, it's really hard for teams where they're like, okay, well, it's easy for you to say that we shouldn't do boot camps or we shouldn't do like give resources like scripts, but what should we be doing? Yeah. Right. And so for me, I'll give you a quick example of, um, at, like elevator pitch training, um, so one of my favorite ways to do elevator pitch training is actually to, um, to just teach kind of the frameworks of a pitch, right? We, we talk about, um, catch conviction, capability, credibility, and close really helping people identify the different elements. And as we're going through those different elements, I'm actually giving them examples. These are examples I've seen from the field, um, things I've heard around the office. Uh, and I usually kind of try to update, 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 update these, these, right? right? And the funny part is that I'm actually not teaching people a script because I, I actually read it myself and I say, okay, we're going to, we're going to um, scrub this. What do you like? What do you not like? And they're like, oh, I really like it. I'm like, that's actually the wrong answer because there's some, there's some big glaring gaps with this pitch. 
And so it actually makes it a really cool environment because especially for salespeople and BDRs, that's, that's what we want them to do every day. Right. We want them to come with a skeptical mindset. Um, because also from a training perspective, it's even, it creates a cool environment because as we know, it's hard to keep training updated. So for me, I always want people to be skeptical. I want them to ask questions like, oh, this mentions a product that's outdated. I shouldn't use this, right? Besides mindlessly just like memorizing this and pitching it to clients. Uh And so I think if you can actually, uh, I mean, one easy way to implement this, like the homework we have from that exercise after we go through the scrubbing uh, pitches together, I do give them the product marketing pitch. Um, as well as, you know, one I've created and I ask them to personalize it to their style. Uh, I, I ask them to actually, yes, memorize it once they've, they've personalized it because I do want them to actually have it practiced and perfect and ready to, to give verbally. Cause it's also easy to just like write something down. Um, and I also have them once they feel really ready with it, I have them go and talk to other people, deliver it to peers and ask them to scrub it. What do you like? What do you not like? What have you seen work? Um, and honestly, just those things, like, I know it, it, it's a lot easier to just say, Hey, go memorize a script. But the funny thing is for me as a training and enablement person who was trying to also build a scalable program, it actually is not that hard to say, Hey, this is a, this is a script. Why don't you go personalize this? And um, just to save me a little bit of time as well, I want you to practice this with three other sales reps. And so I think that that really takes away even the one of the biggest challenges I see for sales leaders, which is like, okay, I don't have the time to turn this one script into like three different meetings with myself. But it also, um, you know, we talked about the kind of those virtual cultures. It also is a really cool way to get people talking in the office. Uh-huh. So I think you can, I hope that story and that example gives some, some easy ways of, of really like thinking beyond the script and really creating these cultures where people are curious, agile, they're, they have, you know, critical sales thinking skills, right? And they're actually also going to people and having conversations around like, what are you using? What do you like about this? And it also even makes it okay to not be perfect, to not have all the answers. Yeah. And and what it also does, it just constantly, you know, focuses on evolution, as you say, it just because it's, it works. It's like, well, who does it work for? These people might be different to the people it works for. And then again, if they're using it and it's not working for them, do they think maybe I'm the, I'm the other one out here. Um, so I think it also allows for that constant evolution and what, by encouraging people to critique it and think, how do you tweak this and what do you add? A big part of psychological safety uh, within a culture is, is giving people that kind of, you know, okay factor to make mistakes or to speak up when they think they can add something regardless of their experience or their role. And by doing this from the off, you're, you're giving them that permission to come in and go, look, you're brand new here, but how would you improve this? What would you do differently? What was something you add? Why don't you go and try it? Why don't you go and try it with two or three people? Um, let us know how that works. Like, tell us, is there anything else that you would change after three or four weeks of being there? You know, what would you change about your onboarding experience? What are, what are some of the things that could improve? What are some of the things that work really well? Like, don't be afraid as a trainer and enablement to, to take feedback. I think, you know, we can get, again, we can get very, like, protective and feel like very, it's like a personable attack. Um, but 
it's better to be proactive. And if you're proactive with seeking feedback, you kind of remove that ego from getting involved because you are the one that's looked for it. But what you're doing at the same time is creating that psychologically safe culture to make people realize that well, I, could, I can have my voice heard here. I can say something. I don't just sit in the corner and, and know it's not going to work, um, see other people fail with it, and then, then it comes up. Oh, I love that you bring this up because it is one of the biggest things that I focus on when I first go into an organization. Because what's interesting is behind the scenes, sometimes as a sales uh, trainer, a lot of times I call myself like a sales therapist because I'm like the one that everyone complains uh, to about everything from like CX complaining about the sales teams, sales teams complaining about everything, uh, <laughs> sales people complaining about sales managers. But, you know, it is actually a really cool opportunity to hear everything that's going on and to try to, you know, drive this change. But one thing I hear consistently from almost every single like individual team member that I, I work with is that they don't feel like they're getting a lot of feedback. They don't know their strengths, their weaknesses, where they should focus. And so it's interesting because a lot of times when people come to me for training requests, I ask them, I'm like, why do you think you need this? And they're like, I really just don't know what I want to improve. And so one of the easiest ways that I've found to actually incorporate more of a, a culture of transparency, of feedback, et cetera, is um, a really simple strategy I call three up, three down. So there's so many different feedback models, but for me, I don't remember any of them. I've literally been through so many trainings on so many different HR models for feedback. And the fact that I can't remember is pretty telling, right? But three up, three down, I've actually used this for like company over company. Um, I have had, I've trained people on it and people have brought it different companies themselves. And it's really simple. You can use it for a, a lot of different um situations as well. It's simply after every single, after, whether it's a sales call, a sales meeting, just asking like three up, three down. Let's all give like three things we thought went really well, three things that we could have done better. And I've used this from everything. Um, we actually ask people to self-review first, which is also, you talk about like psychological safety too. So many times people don't want to receive feedback because they're like, well, I knew that I didn't do that well, right? Like there's a, a level of defensiveness. But if you actually ask people to self-assess first, it takes a lot of that pressure away. And it's, uh -huh. it's a really good way to also test self-awareness. But um, for me, I feel that comment you made around like we as sales leaders also need to be open to feedback. I will tell you, I used to, I literally have cried after feedback forms about like quarterly business reviews and things like that. Um, but it's a really important part of the process. Um, but I'll also tell you a, a weird story that happened to me in my last company. Um, so I got, I got through about probably a year, year and a half of implementing three up, three down. I mean, I do this Every single time we have a call, we have an environment, um, a, you know, a role play environment, et cetera. And my last company had this weird conference room, which was actually um, not an, it was more of an open conference room in a corner of an office. And it was by a team that wasn't the sales team. It, I think it was like a design um, team. And I remember like getting an email from HR saying, Hey, we need to have a conversation with you and your manager. There was like a, an HR, uh, some like complaint filed. And I was like, okay, I'm one really worried, like two so confused. And one of the team members had actually reported me to HR 
for doing a, um, I think they thought that I was doing a, um, like a performance assessment in a, in an open environment. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And then I looked at my calendar. I was like, oh, I was doing an onboarding, um, exercise where I, I, I think I was, uh, with a team where they had a new person, we did a role play and I was just giving feedback. And we were actually like putting it on the board and this person submitted a, a violation to HR saying that I couldn't believe that she would just do this so openly. And I tell this story because I think it actually illustrates how uncomfortable a lot of people are with feedback, how they think that it, it should only be within a closed environment, very private, where people shouldn't you know, be open about sharing what, what they're good at, what they're bad at. And it also is actually a really cool, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, on the sales team, the conversations that were happening from them were amazing. I was getting requests to do three up, three down assessments all the time. I even had reps who were like, cut the up, let's just go into the, where I need to improve. Like, can, there's just so hungry for it. And so I think that we need to, we need, we really need to open up more, um, conversations like that, this in sales, because we have a, I think that the issue, really the root issue is that we as sales teams focus so much on the lacking indicators of success. We are a performance culture. We're so focused on the end numbers, but we don't as often talk about what leads up to those leading, those lacking uh -huh. indicators. And so if we can actually be more transparent and focus on really those sales skills and competencies that lead to higher conversion rates by stage, that lead to better conversations, um, and really get people talking about like their strengths, their weaknesses at every stage of the sales process as employees as a whole, as people and employees as a whole, I think that what's so interesting is that they'll be more invested they will be happier in their roles. They will actually want to improve because it, you show it's okay for them to not be perfect. And it also has an incredible impact on those lagging indicators. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there's a whole other probably episode there on feedback. It's something that, um, that I've talked about a lot actually with Sales Psyche as well. So before we, before we um, wrap things up, Meg, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective and maybe you'll take some of these things we've talked about. But if you're a salesperson listening to this, um, what's one thing you'd encourage people to, to try this year, just experiment with? What's one thing you'd encourage them to keep doing? You think that's, you've seen work over the last 12 months from people you've worked with and one thing for them to throw away? Yeah, so on the try... I think that just because it's so easy, I would, tr I would encourage people to try three up, three down and just ask your manager, Hey, can we schedule like a, a, a 30 minute debrief after a, like one of my sales calls each week? Um, or if you're using a tool like Gong, can we schedule, you know, 30 minute session where, where we actually just go in and, and can we just go over like three things you think I did well, three things that I could have done better. You can, you can self-assess. You can also have peers assess you. People really, uh, once you break through that, that awkwardness barrier, we're like, are you sure it's okay for me to give you this feedback? Once you break through that, it's really fun. Um, and it can, it can be incredibly insightful. Um, in terms of things that we should keep, I think that we need to keep this level of agility. The COVID um, 
and, and uh, COVID and quarantine have really forced us to become agile and to shift away from the ways that we have always done things, et cetera. And we've had to be comfortable with um, the discomfort of uncertainty. And it's such an incredibly valuable sales skill because the world shifts constantly. And so for me, agility is something I see in a lot more reps these days that isn't always facilitated by the, the teams that they work for, you know, especially with this, this script element. So I, I hope that every single person can actually continue to hone agility as a core value and to throw away toxic sales cultures. I know this is a really big one and it's much easier for me to just throw this out and say it, but I think that we should all really be demanding better cultures, more diverse cultures. We should really be having conversations with our sales leadership and making it known that this is, these are, this is really important to us. We should be asking for resources, support for mental health and sales, for diversity and sales. We should be highlighting conversations around the fact that, you know, what it's like to be a, a woman or a minority in sales. And I think if we can just make it known that it's important to us personally, it will be high, more highly prioritized by sales leadership. And I think that's a lot of times we always ask like, well, what can I do? Especially if you are like, if you are that, that more traditional salesperson, a lot of times it just is assumed that it doesn't matter as much to you. So just making it known and, and vocalizing the fact that you deeply care about these things and it's really important to you. Um, and also just pushing back on toxic things that you see happening in the workforce and, you know, the sales environments. I think, I hope that we can all try to be um, stronger advocates for these, for self healthier, more diverse sales cultures in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to that, it's not so much of a, a nice to have its basic hygiene really with, with a lot of these things now. And it's about being honest and going, Do you know, what? we need to catch up. Um, Cause there are in particularly what's happened in the last 12 months. Um, but even before that, what I think the pandemic has done is lifted a veil on these topics. We're talking about them more, but, it's sort of showing, you know what, we need to catch up and support people in the right way. And the first point you mentioned actually on feedback, something that I always mention to people and to ensure you never use the word. And it's quite funny because I talk about it, people, they're like, is but. So when giving feedback, always try and avoid using the word but, because even with the three up, three down piece you talked about, if I've told you all these three things that you've done really well, and then I went, but Meg, then you're like, defense mode amygdala goes off in your brain oh this is coming what's going to happen i forget all the good stuff and now i'm just going to focus on the negatives um it's even it's quite funny when you stop doing this you'll even see reps and, and people going sitting there going but like they're almost like preempting it because they're waiting because they're they're so hardwired to expect this and just simply changing the word they might not be so grammatically correct and so rather than saying like oh Meg, today you had a really good call. I love the questions you were asking. And what could make it even better is this, this, and this, rather than, yeah. but what could have improved it? Because it's just like, you're just deleting all of that stuff. And that's where the brain will then think, fight or flight, I'm under threat. I just need to remember this stuff now. Yeah. And I think that pairing that with a really heavy dose of a, you know, more of a growth mindset where you see feedback, not as this adversarial, like, 
defensive conversation or something that's going to like impact your career, right? Because a lot of times we save feedback for performance reviews. Um, but actually doing self-assessment regularly is a really great exercise to get you more comfortable with this. Yeah. And again, for sales leaders out there, I think that it's critical to let people do a self-assessment first. And by Definitely. the way, this goes for me too. Like I get, I'm not going to lie. I, I just posted on LinkedIn about how still after years of, of incorporating feedback into sales teams, I'm still uncomfortable with feedback sometimes. And so I think it's also just recognizing that it's not, it's one of those things that's not always comfortable, but it's, it's so valuable. And it, it's just like with sales as a whole, it gets easier the more that you do it. Mm, definitely. Well, Meg, thank you so much for, for coming on today. For people who might be the first time uh, listening to you, where's the best place for them to go to learn more about you and, and what you do? Yeah. So two places um, on my LinkedIn, I do have a very unique name, so it should be easy to find me uh, by just sh going to the show notes, but um, go to LinkedIn. I post a lot of free resources, free ideas, free content. Um, but also I have the link to my website, which is um, the path to presidents club Dot com And what you can find there is actually a link to book a free geek out session with me. So if you want to dive into any of the, any of these ideas, or if you want to just geek out on a sales strategy or sales challenge you're experiencing, I actually host free um, virtual coffees every single week. So snag one of those opportunities and I hope to have some conversations with listeners. Great. Great. Well, thank you again, Megan, for listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I will catch you again very soon. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in. If you want more of this content, then head over to our website, salespsyche.co.uk. Psyche is P-S-Y-C-H-E. And sign up for our self-talk newsletter. Plus, we also run another podcast, Master Brilliance of Resilience. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. But for now, stay mindful. Catch you soon.